0: This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook undoubtedly has some of the top designers in the world all working under one roof. But what does it take to be a designer there? I asked product designer Jessica Durkin to find out.
1: I think the ability to listen to people that you're designing for
0: and try to understand what they need It's really important, the ability to be collaborative and work
1: with other people and bring people in and bring in new ideas and be open to those ideas. I think most designers at Facebook are, you know, really curious and have a genuine interest in helping bring people closer together.
0: Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, anitab.org is looking for a UI UX designer in Palo Alto, California. We also have job listings from indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply and if you're looking for more jobs then become a member of our slack community and join the jobs channel see you there you're listening to the revision path podcast a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers web designers and web developers Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, it's that time of year again, time for our annual holiday gift guide. Now we've rounded up a bunch of great stuff for this year's gift guide, which by the way is our fifth gift guide now we've done one every year since 2013 so it'll be coming your way on december the first make sure you're following us on twitter facebook and instagram for more info also speaking of gifts today is the last day for our black friday cyber monday sale get up to 25 off anything in our store and get free shipping for any orders over 45 dollars just head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash store sale ends tomorrow Now let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Automation is huge right now, and the great thing about MailChimp is how they use automations to help make your email marketing efforts not only more powerful, but a lot easier as well. You can set up automations to reward the most active people on your list. Of course, people are doing a bunch of shopping right now, so if you do e-commerce, you can send order notifications, you can follow up on their purchases. It's really great. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account and give it a try. MailChimp. Send better email. Your online identity really begins with your domain name. You know, no matter what kind of an artist, designer, or developer you are, showcasing your passion online is super important. You know, I got my first domain uh, for my name, MauriceCherry.com. I got that back in 2003, not too long after I graduated college. And as I have went through different jobs and as my career has changed, it has probably been the one constant in my professional life. So anything that I'm doing, I can always point people to marischerry.com, and it's it's right there. And I've got that domain on Hover. You know, Hover makes the process of finding a domain super simple. They've got hundreds of domain extensions. They've got personalized email, and they've got award-winning customer service. Right now, you can get 50% off any .art domain. So for any designers or artists that are listening, you can get 50% off those domains until November the 30th. Just go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. They let you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple options that your websites can grow into. All plans have managed WordPress hosting. They include staging and Git integration. So go ahead and get started today by visiting SiteGround.com forward slash revision path so you can get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Now for this week's interview. We're ending out MailChimp Month by talking with design manager, John Bell. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: My name is John Bell. I am a design manager at MailChimp. And my day-to-day looks like helping my team be successful in their cross-functional teams, building great products that make life easier for small businesses around the world and in their marketing efforts.
0: You, I was just about to kind of ask you what your your typical day is like. Like, I know you're the design manager here, but how many designers are you managing? What sorts of stuff are you doing kind of on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, so my team... I uh, have a team of eight excellent designers ranging in uh, various different levels of seniority. So have juniors, mids, seniors, also different skill sets, emphasis on um, product design. Some have stronger backgrounds in UX. There are actually a lot of amazing designers on the team that have the ability to code um, and actually write production-ready code or uh, have backgrounds as, as web developers. So I would say that the day-to-day, uh, I'm only five weeks in. Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> the day-to-day is still shaping up. There are definitely a lot of meetings, and I know that sounds kind of boring or tedious, uh, I think, to a lot of people. But you know, really, I think the purpose of those meetings is to design systems that really serve the people here, that allow them to do their best work, mm-hmm. and to unblock people, to make sure that people you know don't have barriers, that the you know the way is clear, as it were, for them to do their best work, to, to show up fulfilled in their job, to not be frustrated by the process.
0: So it sounds like it's it's a lot of uh, not just managing expectations, but sort of managing. Well, of course, you're managing people as the manager, but you're also managing kind of their anticipations, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. I th- you know, I think I really struggle with the term manager. Mm-hmm. I know it's my title, but I really struggle with it because of the <laughs> connotations that come from corporate America, of what, what a manager does. Uh-huh. I'm not an executive, right? You know, I think kind of my bosses and and above, they make key decisions about the business and and where the business is going to go and how we're going to get there. And I think the individual designers that are on our team and exist throughout our organization are really, they own the customer experience. They own uh, crafting those solutions in their cross-functional teams. I sit, I think kind of in between and try to align the two. So I try to align each individual designer's abilities and goals both personally and professionally, mm-hmm. with what the business is looking to accomplish, it's a really you know I like to say that I'm a servant, and like my, my customers are both the business and the designer. I'm facilitating a productive relationship that aligns their skills and talents and ambitions as individuals with what the with what the business is looking to accomplish.
0: How has it been here so far? You've like you said, you've only been here for just like about five weeks. Yeah,
1: it's been fantastic. I mean, I had some previous experience in marketing multi-channel marketing and marketing automation so it's a pretty natural fit so uh, you know i'm pretty familiar with the industry the customers a lot of the problems and have previously been managing a design team in kind of this email space Um, so there's a lot of similarities and familiarities Mm -hmm. but generally i've found the team to be wicked smart i found um, (laughs) the people here to be pretty humble you know there's this uh the, the kind of slogan or phrase, listen hard and change fast. I don't think it's just a slogan. I think people really do. Um, And to do that requires humility. And so I've been blown away by the amount of, you know, humility that's in the building. In tech, you have a lot of smart people, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) A lot of high IQs. That can be debatable. but Yeah, you can say that. You know, um, but and I think one of the downsides, or you, I should say, yeah, you have a lot of people who lead with their intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. And, and their intelligence defines them. Yeah. And so it, it does take a lot of humility to, to not allow, you know, your intellect or education to define you, but you know, your ability to serve other people to define you. So I've found a lot of that here at Mailchimp.
0: Now I know you're you're coming from out west. Is this your first time out here working and living in the south?
1: Yep, uh, I was born and raised in the south, actually. So, okay, from Arkansas. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a Southern boy. I like to say that I grew up on the banks of the Mississippi. You know, my father was a steel worker. My mom was a immigrant from Jamaica. Okay. So, <laughs> that's that's my uh, that's my folksy um, you know if I were running for president kind of speech. But yeah. No, I did. I grew up in rural Arkansas. I spent time in Alabama.
0: Where in Alabama? Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm from Selma.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I started my actually started my first company in Birmingham, Alabama. Nice. And then yeah, I you know friends all over the South, grew up all over the South. So yeah, my grandmother's in Tennessee, got, yeah, spent some time in Georgia before. So I, my grandfather's outside of the So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So tell me about the work that you were doing before you got here to MailChimp. From what I saw from doing my research, you were, you were a design mentor, like in position. It sounds like that's what you were doing. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So um, I was doing a few different things. So right before, Mailchimp, I was at a company called Return Path, not to be confused with Revision Path. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and we did, um, we did email analytics, so um, analytics specifically on the performance of, of kind of email sends. So in that capacity, I was directly managing a team of designers. And I guess the, the, there's some mentorship involved in that. I think maybe what you're referring to is Design Lab and Galvanize.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. So those were actually volunteer uh, opportunities. So um, design lab is trying to make design as a career more accessible to people starting out their careers, but also switching careers. Mm -hmm. And so they recruit veterans from the industry to be mentors to designers who are going through their program. Um, So that's that's what I did. I helped mentor 30 plus designers.
0: Okay. And then eventually now you've Moved out here to Atlanta, and now you're at MailChimp.
1: Atlanta. Loving it.
0: Oh, well, I guess since you grew up in the South, it's not your first time here. Yeah. You've been to the city. You kind of know your way around and everything. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I mean, we're rediscovering it. Um, I think okay. my, my, my wife is not from the South. She did go to school in the South, but we're rediscovering. Atlanta's changed a lot. And you know, since I was a kid, obviously, and rediscovering Southern culture, food, the people, it's Pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, Atlanta is changing so so much. I mean, I I came here in ninety nine. Okay. Came here and went to Morehouse, and I mean, I've been here ever since. And like to see yeah. how much the city has changed post Olympics right. has been. I don't want to say it's been all good. Uh, it's just been you know change is change. It's always going to be a constant thing. Atlanta is just one of those cities that every five to seven years, it's trying to find something new to become. And like now the latest thing, of course, is television and, Mm -hmm. and movies is like the big thing here is, is, uh, is film. So.
1: Yeah. Well, it's pretty amazing. I mean, cities have to, uh, you know, adapt and learn and grow and iterate. And yeah, I think it's, it's cool to see a, a city creating its own identity as opposed to worrying about being the next something You know, the next San Francisco, the next L.A., the new New York, the new Seattle. I feel like I've spent a lot of time in various different cities that there's this kind of conversation constantly going on about, you know, what what they want to be. And usually it's just a smaller version of something else. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that that's necessarily recipe for success. So um, finding your own kind of unique bent in culture, I feel like is usually better path to success. So
0: I know that, you know, you're new here, new to Atlanta, Mm -hmm. but have you had a chance to, I guess, kind of experience any of the Atlanta design community?
1: I've been to a few design events, AMUX. I've started uh, chatting with some of the AIGA folks, but mostly I've been embedded in MailChimp and figuring out my role here and getting to know the team and those sorts of things. Okay. Yeah.
0: If you haven't been to the Museum of Design Atlanta yet, you should go.
1: I have not, but it is on the list.
0: Yeah, they've got a new exhibit there, which should still be up by the time this this interview airs. But it's called a "Text Text the Me." One? Yes. Yeah.
1: yes, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. That should be pretty good. Creative mornings. I'm excited about. Yeah, so actually, so yeah, one of the first things we did when we moved was find organizations to support in the community. Um, okay. just via donations and volunteering and. And is it is it Moda? Do people call it Moda? Yeah, that's
0: Museum of Design Atlantic.
1: Right. Yeah. I don't know if people actually.
0: Call yeah, it people it call Moda. it Moda. Okay, <laughs> all right. All right.
1: You, you, you said it all. You, you know, what it represented, so I was like, I've never heard that. But <laughs> so yeah, so we gave we gave to, to Moda and mm-hmm. we got our cards and we will be we'll be there shortly.
0: So. Yeah, it's. Uh, they also do a lot of different kind of workshops and stuff too. They oh. have, I know they've got like a 3D printing workshop. They have cool. Lego workshops, and they also have. Like older, I guess, oh I would say they have crafts for adults type things, where they have like subversive cross stitch, okay, you know, I think they even had I don't know if they still have it, but at one point in time they had one around sex toys, like okay. like they're pretty oh, yeah, they're pretty open. Last. I think that might have been the last one that they or they right. had to reschedule it or something, okay. but they often have a lot of little fun kind of seminars yeah. for people for all ages, so it's not yeah. just you know it's not boring, I'll definitely will say right. that it's not boring at all.
1: What's the name of it? is it text me? Yeah, text me. Text me, yeah. I'm I'm pretty excited about checking that
0: out. Yeah, it should be pretty good. I know they they opened up, I mean, this will air in in November, but they just opened up, the opening party was a little, this past weekend. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah,
1: yeah, we got some emails asking, yeah. Yeah,
0: I I know that you've mentioned that you are into entrepreneurship. Can you talk about some of the businesses that you've started?
1: Yeah, so I've always been fairly entrepreneurial. I think what that means is just, I have a, a bent towards observing a problem, and then kind of probably, in most cases, being overly confident in my ability to organize the resources to to solve that problem. So I don't know. From the time I was yeah a kid, you know, starting your typical small business, mom's gonna have a yard sale. Means I'm gonna have a lemonade stand. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> the church is gonna do something. Means I'm gonna have you know I'm gonna go sell you know cinnamon rolls to. Later years, I mostly focused on starting uh, tech companies. So I started a couple of agencies, kind of your typical service-based tech and design uh, firms. And then um, most recently, I started a a software company called Rainmaker, which was actually really trying to solve... You started that? Not Rainmaker, not Rainmaker, the marketing platform. Oh, okay, okay. Rainmaker, the fundraising platform. Gotcha. Yeah, so somewhat similar, but really our focus was on helping nonprofits raise more money online okay. um, and cultivate cultivate better relationships with their donors. Mm-hmm. Um, so we built a multi-channel marketing automation platform that would allow nonprofits to, you know, send direct mail, SMS, process donations, you know, integrate with their website and do landing pages things like that.
0: What was that shift like going from being a design entrepreneur into kind of the regular work that you're doing now with a company? I think it was
1: fairly I feel like it's fairly complimentary, because a lot of what I do now is is similar to what I was doing then. In the sense that a lot of what being an entrepreneur is about is bringing together the proper resources and designing a system around those resources for those resources to kind of be applied to a problem and scale. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I really I do a lot of the same thing now. And I think it's one of the things that. Kind of has made me attractive to companies in this kind of a capacity, taking a you know a group of people and helping grow them, lead them, but ultimately to design a system within the organization mm-hmm. to allow them to thrive and deliver the most possible value, kind of in alignment with the business goals. So I think I generally still have a fair amount of freedom to to kind of discover new problems and experiment with possible solutions, and then codify those into systems. So I think it's pretty similar. When considering whether or not to work in a larger company or start a company, I tend to think about whether or not the problem is actively being solved and solved well, and then also the probability of being able to scale the solution to that problem before Mm -hmm. a larger competitor could. That's a long-term endeavor, right? You're talking about five to 12 years minimum to really build something that exist at scale Mm -hmm. so in a lot of cases if you can find the right cultural fit and the circumstances make sense doing the same work in a larger company means that you get to be doing delivering the value that you want to deliver for the customers that you want to serve at scale for longer so mailchimp is a great example mailchimp is is doing a lot of what we were doing at rainmaker for nonprofits mailchimp is doing for all small businesses and a large portion of our customer base here are nonprofits. And so today yeah. I serve more nonprofits in a very similar way than I did when I started my company.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask like, email is one of those ubiquitous things that isn't super glitzy or glamorous, like AR, VR, et cetera. But right. I was curious, as a design manager, like, what types of challenges do you face here? Or have you faced so
1: far, I should say? From a product perspective or? Sorry.
0: We'll say from both a product perspective and from a team perspective.
1: I think there's always a challenge in in the way that you work. I think anything that involves people is inherently messy, <laughs> right? <laughs> because you're imperfect, I'm imperfect, we're all imperfect. And so we're trying to work towards um, an ideal goal, but you've got in, imperfect people involved in the process. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the biggest challenge is, is always going to be in really understanding what the customer's needs are and interpreting those properly. But then really in working together with these cross-functional teams, with engineers, with data scientists, with, you know, uh, with the writers who have different experiences, different backgrounds, like what makes the solution magic is in a lot of ways that diversity of perspective, but it's also what makes getting to the magic very challenging right? right? because those, you know, anything that stretches us, takes us outside of our comfort zone, right? If, um, you know, cramps our style and we don't like that and we naturally resist that. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's kind of a, a pretty universal challenge. And I think one of the things I'm most excited about um, rolling up my sleeves to help tackle here, I think there are a lot of people thinking very intentionally about about how design works more collaboratively, cross-functionally, mm-hmm. not just here at MailChimp, but across the industry. There's a lot of thought being put into that right now.
0: Do you have any tips for any designers that might want to work
1: here? In terms of how to get a job here or how to how to, <laughs> how to work well with others? <laughs>
0: we'll say how to get a job here. Just um, curious, yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess I haven't actually gone through the process of interviewing designers yet. Okay, uh, But I can speak to generally what I've looked for in the past when interviewing designers. The first thing that I look for how quickly do they learn and how hungry are they to learn because the reality is what you're going to need to know to do your job effectively is going to change the tools that we use are going to change the techniques that we apply are going to change the individuals that we solve for might change so your ability to change quickly through learning Um, is going to be extremely important. So that's probably the the number one thing that I look for. One of the questions I always ask designers is, what's the most interesting thing that you've read recently? Just getting a sense of like, what what are you engaged in? Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be design related, but just like, how are you stretching your mind and and learning new things? The second is, um, are you a product thinker? And I think about product thinker from that perspective of, are you thinking about the customer, the problem that they're trying, you know, that they're experiencing or that you're trying to solve for in the context around that and how that rolls up to what the business is trying to accomplish. You know, when I ask my designers, what's your, you know, what's your job? You typically get, you know, an answer that includes, you know, solve problems for my customer, be a champion for the customer, use empathy to understand the customer's problem, and then go and design solutions for that really your number one job is to make the business money. Mm -hmm. That's why you get a paycheck. (laughs) 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 People kind of forget that. So I think having that sense of, you know, yeah, you know, the way that I make money for the business is is through design. But again, that opinion, my opinions about what I'm doing Mm -hmm. should never get in the way of me working with a team towards the larger business objectives.
0: You know, that's a really good point that I think a lot of designers need to adopt is, you know, It's not all about you. I feel like certainly the way that modern design culture kind of paints the designer is as the, the empathetic problem solver that is able to navigate these sorts of challenges. And that's great. But, you know, product thinking really, I don't want to say it strips you of that empathy, but I think it just forces you to take your empathy and put it towards something that's not your brand or your ego. Like, Mm -hmm. like, the, the thing about being a product designer or being a designer for any product is kind of how do I take my ego out of this and then use my talent to kind of serve what the product is mm-hmm. about.
1: A lot of designers think about the, the deliverable as being something that ties back to them, mm-hmm. right? What can I showcase as evidence that I'm a genius? <laughs> and the reality is so many of the problems that we solve for, could be solved without quote-unquote design deliverables.
0: Mm-hmm. So from my research, I see that you have, you've ran campaigns, you fundraise fundraised mm-hmm. campaigns, etc. How did you go from working in politics to working in design?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I initially started my career in politics because I wanted to make a difference in the world. And politics felt like, um, to a young mind, it felt like a natural outlet. There was no, I don't know, there was no constraints or limitations due to my age or my ethnicity. Uh, There were no preconceived notions, just anyone willing to roll up their sleeves and get involved could make a difference. And I liked that. So I was able to channel a lot of my kind of energy and desire to make a difference in the world into political efforts and actually see a real, uh, real impact. I became jaded after a little while kind of seeing, you know, you see a lot of good, you see a lot of people, you know, pouring out, you know, their heart and their soul into it and putting a lot of effort into making a difference. For the communities, but you also get a view of the we call it the darker side of politics yeah. um, people serving their own interests and the, the pandering and and um, it, it just a lot of it felt, inauthentic after a while. Yeah. Um, and so um, I Like to say that politics is very reactionary. So in mm. a lot of ways Politicians themselves react to where the culture is and so I felt like in order to make a difference I should move what I call upstream so um, You know, if if politics is kind of downstream and reacting to things that are happening upstream, I should move upstream and try to uh, make more of a difference and impact culture through another medium. Um, Now, that medium for me became entrepreneurship and business, this idea that I could observe a problem in the community and then work with others to create a solution that could scale to actually solve that problem and that the forces in particular of a market can make that sustainable over time so that I could create value in exchange for that value produce revenue and then that would go back into the business and improving the product reaching more people etc so that's kind of the shift that i made i mean technically and it was while i was in politics i got introduced to someone who was an engineer and found this kind of whole magical world of actually building things which completely unaware of code until then Hmm. and yeah so you know he started saying hey you can translate these ideas into products that people use and so that's kind of how I got introduced to, to software in this magical new world of making stuff for people.
0: Politics is such an interesting kind of a, I don't know, I, I find it's a really interesting transitory type of thing for people to get involved in. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when you work in politics, it will show you more of either who you want to be or who you don't want to be. Right. It's like, once you see, I'm using a lot of idioms here, but like, once you see how the sausage is made, you're like... Sell it now, like right, right, <laughs> exactly. I like
1: vegan. Yeah, like, like you might decide this is
0: not <laughs> really what I want to do. Right. But no, yeah. Once you kind of see more of how things operate, you to decide I really want to be a part of that, or eh, not so much. I mean, certainly, you know the the propensity and the the capacity to help people is important, but then it's also like, at what cost <laughs> is this right. happening? Right. As you kind of look at, and I'm curious to to kind of get your perspective on this when we sort of look at our current you know political time. What role do you think designers should play when it comes to, I don't know, expression or just the work that they do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think designers have an opportunity being upstream of culture to really set the tone, right? Fundamentally, designers are independent of an ideology. They observe problems that are kind of in front of them and experienced by the people that they serve. For us at MailChimp, it's small businesses, right? And and they're millions and millions of small businesses that are suffering and while we can't influence kind of political policy one way or another what we can do is help those small businesses get a leg up we can help them their marketing efforts understanding data and analytics building their brand and so i think in a lot of ways designers have this really privileged position and skill set to really be able to observe a problem dissect it and work kind of with the user to create a solution to that problem mm-hmm that's really independent of other kind of factors, which I think is, um, or, or I shouldn't say independent, but it accounts for kind of the environment in which, you know, in which the solution is being created. So as opposed to trying to change the environment, um, the solution is kind of designed around it. So I don't know. I, I, you know, I think, I think the designers are generally very, very mindful about the circumstances, mm-hmm. about the you know, environment from an economic perspective, a political perspective, um, but ultimately I think really driving towards like what's the pragmatic solution that we can create for our users that that solves the most meaningful problem that they're facing at the moment.
0: Okay. I want to switch gears here. I'm curious to know, you know, because you've worked at so many different cities and across industries and things, who have been some of the mentors that have really helped you out in your design journey?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think it's interesting. My kind of most vivid experiences or, Lessons that I've learned um, have have not necessarily been from designers, kind of design mentors, but um, from others in my life, um, and the things that they demonstrated. Um, so one of my one of my managers, he wasn't kind of in the design lane, as it were. He was just a great coach and mentor. He worked in tech. He had done a bunch of different things, from from sales to to kind of management and operations. And I remember he he kind of would always tell me, you know, Jonathan, you don't get it. Especially early in my career, so you don't get it. Like the people are the work. Um, and I was really obsessed with the output and the outcomes that we had kind of promised as a team and making sure that those things came into the world. And so I would drive really, really hard to make sure that those things happened. And I think I was, you know, really I was putting too much pressure on my team. I was personally burning out. And none of that was healthy for me, for my team, for my, you know, personal relationships. And so I always keep in mind this idea of the people are the work, um, which is really to say you can't get there without the team. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what the objective is if you're, you know, if you're going to step on people to get there, that's not that cost is not worth it. And so it's really reframed my thinking to if there's an objective that you want to achieve. You invest in the people first and foremost, and you know you empower them, and you'll get there. And that would say another kind of mentor in my life really taught me the value of, of learning the business. Um, so she had come from a, from an engineering background and large institutions. Um, and I think it was really valuable for me, uh, to have her reframe a lot of what I was doing as, you know, learn the business, learn the context in which you're delivering this work and you'll be more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of designers are frustrated when, They craft kind of this perfect solution and then have it (laughs) taken apart by, you know, the client or the customers or engineers or other leaders in the business, you know, that's out of scope or, you know, hey, why don't we do it this way instead Um, due to technical limitations and just really learning that it is important to learn the business, the process by which your work makes it into the world Mm -hmm. um, and really conforming to that first and then understanding how you can kind of push on those limitations that that's a, a much better path to, to getting your work realized in the world than, than just being kind of frustrated and being your head against the wall.
0: Basically, like you can't design in a bubble, essentially, right, especially exactly. if you're doing products yep. that you can't really do that. What keeps you inspired these days?
1: I'm inspired by a few things. I'm inspired by visionary leaders who look at the impossible and say, I think I can make this happen and drive really hard to make it happen. I'm a little obsessed right now with Jeff Bezos. Amazon, I think it's a for especially for designers, it's it's a it's an unsexy brand. but if you think about the way that they solve problems, um, the way that they integrate um, all of these different kind of disparate elements into kind of a singular kind of experience or the 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 values compounded upon itself, and also just kind of the the we'll say just, aggressive or dogmatic approach that Bezos has to just making every kind of vertical in the world better. He just has this belief that, uh, so, I mean, similar to like an Elon Musk, right? That just there's a better way I and mean, then we can drive towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, so those guys provide me with inspiration. I'm also inspired by just all, all the other, I don't know, non-digital things. Inspired by the perspective of my two-year-old, right? I mean, just the way that he sees the world, his resilience, um, the way that he articulates his understanding of things really just helps me realize how many assumptions I have baked in and how false those assumptions can be. It also makes me careful about, you know, what assumptions I place on him or Mm -hmm. pass on to him. Um, So there are other things I'm, I'm into, you know, cooking. I love kind of I take inspiration from the great chefs of the world, their approach to building menus, their approach to plating, their approach to service in their restaurants. I mean, there are so many other magic right now. I'm a little obsessed with magic and the way that magicians design these elaborate illusions. I'm like, these are design problems. (laughs) You know, how do you make a man levitate while encompassed by a a group of individuals, right? And it's like, that's the problem. They start with this problem set and kind of reverse engineer their way to a solution. And then they kind of obscure all the stuff in the middle and it creates wonder, right? It's one of the few remaining things that we truly kind of step back and awe at, right? Or kind of wonder at. So I find a lot of inspiration in in those things. I think on a day-to-day basis outside of tech, outside of design, I don't know other stuff. What are the best
0: things that you owe your parents?
1: I would say a love for learning. That's kind of been a repeat theme throughout my life. I mentioned earlier that I think, you know, uh, it's one of the things I look for in in a design interview is how hungry is someone to learn something new. It's been the thing that's helped me to navigate, you know, from politics to marketing to product management and now product design. I think a love for learning makes it easy to learn, to learn often Um, to learn in diverse categories and to bring those things together in interesting ways. So I owe that to my parents. I think they constantly pushed on um, the why, not just the what, Mm -hmm. which creates this just this curiosity and fascination with why things work the way they do and why does it have to be that way? Um, So, uh, yeah, I like interrogating my own thoughts. And I think that's directly a, a consequence of the way that I was raised.
0: Is there anything that you want to really accomplish for the rest of the year? I know you're kind of starting off new in this position, so it can be either something with work or something personal, anything like that.
1: By uh, the end of the year, do you mean with my first year at Mailchimp? What do you mean by the this end calendar of, year? Okay, twenty seventeen. Yeah. yeah,
0: by the end of twenty seventeen.
1: Yeah, no, I think the the big thing for me is building strong relationships with my team, building you know uh, personal relationships and professional trust. Uh, I think it's important for managers to. Earn the respect of the title, not assume it. I think building strong relationships with uh, with my peers in design and research and marketing um, is just so valuable, right? And figuring out how I can uh, serve them, and how uh, my team can serve them, and make their lives easier uh, is is so important. I want to continue to learn how Mailchimp, and in particular, the unique Mailchimp brand. Is represented in a product context. A lot of product design is feels pretty brand ag- agnostic. Yeah, you know, in a lot of cases, very utilitarian, functional, but somewhat bland. <laughs> and Mailchimp has such a strong brand that I think I really want to uh, wrap my mind around uh, the future of uh, tying brand value into the actual product UI and how to deliver that in the experience. I think those are probably some of my primary goals for for twenty seventeen.
0: I know that you're just starting off here, but I'm I'm curious to know, kind of, given how you've moved through, you know, these different sectors, where do you kind of see yourself going in the next few years? In the next few years, yeah, like what kind of work would you like to be doing? You as in three? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like definitions. You as in three?
0: That's it's <laughs> so funny you said that because <laughs> I I was just thinking back to like my one of my childhood math class where it was like one is one, a couple is two, right. few is He's three. three. <laughs> let's say the next five years. Let's say that.
1: Okay. Yeah, I I think for me, I really want to see design as a function within product organizations fully utilized and not just recognized. I feel like a lot of designers are fighting for recognition and we've gotten that. Now it's about utilization. So it's really about seeing the value that design can unlock for a business really be realized all the way through to the bottom line, through to the customer experience, through how the organization and understanding of how design informs so much about the experience. Um, so I, I think if I can be uh, continue to, to serve the business in a way where I'm, I'm designing systems that allow the value of design to be unlocked in new and interesting ways, not just in the product for our customers, but also throughout the organization, how does design unlock value for customer service and success? How do we allow, how does design unlock value for recruiting? How does design unlock value for marketing and research? And like, how do we become an enabler, right? How do we leverage, I don't want to use the term design thinking, like how does design as an organization unlock and, you know, grow the capacity um, and impact of other organizations? I, I just have this this fundamental, this idea that, you know, design is a, is a public service and designers are public servants. Mm. And so finding, you know, our public is uh, our customers and the organization at large.
0: Well, just to wrap things up here, John, where can our audience find out more about you and about the work that you're doing online?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think the the best thing to do would be to, you know, follow MailChimp on on LinkedIn. Um, and on Twitter, we're very active on kind of the social channels. But then also, we're we're constantly updating our website with um, new job opportunities. We're obviously growing rapidly, so there's we're always always hiring uh, for a lot of different roles. And the design organizations hiring uh, quite a bit. We've got pretty aggressive growth plans for uh, the coming years. And I think that's also a great place to to find, in particular, on our website and in our blog highlighted stories about what it's like to design mm-hmm. um, at, at MailChimp. And so we will see more of that coming in the next few months.
0: And you specifically?
1: I'm, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, <laughs> Facebook, those, <laughs> those things. I'm not super active right now. I'm I'm, I'm very, you know, locked in, focused, very busy yeah. day to day, kind of, you know, getting my feet wet. Yeah. I mean, MailChimp, you're just
0: starting. You have to kind of, like you said, get your yeah. feet wet, get I'll, your...
1: I'll be back to the gram and, you know, the face, <laughs> and the, the face snaps and whatnot here in, here in a few months.
0: All right, sounds good. Well, John Bell, I want to thank you again so much for coming on the show. I can really tell that you have this like deep multi-dimensional thought about design. Like it's not just about, oh, you know, I could design logo or whatever, but it's more about how design can be used to serve the greater good Mm -hmm. in the world, which I think certainly in these times is important. But I'm I'm really gonna be interested to see how you use that in an organization like MailChimp and how you're able to really kind of make some change happen. So I'll be, yeah. I'll be looking forward to it. I'll be keeping an All eye right. on seeing what you're All doing. Right. So thank you again so much for coming on the show. I thanks appreciate it. Thanks for the
1: it. opportunity. I appreciate it. Thoughts of
0: love are in your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to John Bell and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about John and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Their mission is to make the world more open and connected, and they use design to create prototypes, shape experiences, and ultimately solve problems as well. Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. Whether you need to sell your products, share some big news, or just tell a story, MailChimp makes it easy to create campaigns that best suit your message. Automate your marketing efforts, put your data to work, and watch the results roll in. Visit MailChimp.com today and sign up for a free account. MailChimp. Send better email. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and Hover really takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. Not only do they offer free private domain registration, but you can pick from your choice of hundreds of domain extensions And you can connect them to your WordPress site, your Dribbble profile, your LinkedIn profile, you name it. Ready to get started? Just go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit siteground.com forward slash revision path and get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround web hosting crafted with care this episode was edited by rj basilio and produced by me maurice cherry our intro voiceover is by music Man Andre with intro and outro music by yellow speaker if you liked this episode please do us a huge favor first subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, and next leave us a rating and a review It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show by not only bumping us up in the rankings there for Design Podcast, but it lets more people discover Revision Path so they can see all of the great people that we've interviewed. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about Black designers and creatives in our field are being told in our own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.